Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a, a founder originally as well from Europe. So uh, we're gonna have here the battle of the accents. We're gonna have the Spanglish, the Scottish, so you name it. And I think that we're gonna be learning quite a bit today. And it's very interesting what this founder is all about. Obviously a regulated space. Uh, and uh, I guess without further ado, let's just not make anyone wait longer. So welcome to the show, Patrick Burns. Thank you, Alejandro. Thanks for having me. So, originally born in Glasgow, in Scotland. So, how was life growing up there? Yeah, it was great. I uh, I, I loved growing up in Scotland. I love Scotland. I uh, I grew up in a in a big family with six kids, so there was always a, a lot going on, some some craziness there. Um, and I, you know, I guess I have to say we had a really comfortable childhood, but we're always really aware. That that comfort came from my parents working really hard to to, to create that for us. They were both uh, they were both doctors um, and really hardworking, but that it never turned into. I have to say, it never turned into a sense of pressure for us to be high achievers or anything like that. It was more a sort of sense that that, that we had we had to realize the opportunity that we had in a very comfortable and natural way. And so, you know, I, I would definitely say I always remember feeling that very strongly. And so sometimes that meant I took the opportunity to play football or, or soccer in the streets until midnight during the summer. But, you know, more often than that, it was really an opportunity to be curious as I was and, and sort of really uh, learn about different things and so on. I was always very... I was always very driven by a sense of curiosity about how things work in the world um, and, and, and really driven by a desire to learn. So um, would you say that, that that gave you that love as well for physics? Yeah, it was definitely part of it. You know, it's funny looking back on these things. You, you make decisions when you were a young kid without really perfect information, but definitely I was really curious about physics and I, also wanted to challenge myself i would say and physics seemed like one of the harder things i could go and study uh to to you know at, at university to challenge myself and obviously you did that at oxford so uh 
So pretty good university. And then you dive and, and do your master's in Yale. So, so why statistics in Yale? Yeah, again, it really comes back to that desire to learn about things. So I, I studied physics and, you know, learned a lot of math, learned a lot of things that, you know, I frankly wasn't going to apply at least directly in, in, in life. But this was around uh, 2011, which was right around the time when sort of applications of statistics and data science were becoming really, really, really prevalent, really democratized and used in sort of the, the, the working world. And I came out of uh, this physics degree knowing, I guess, really a lot of math that, that you needed. And so I wanted to see if I could basically take that and, and retool it into something that would be, you know, really applicable in the broader sort of business world or the broader world. And, you know, fortunately, I, I was able to do that. I did this master's degree where really spent not a lot of time studying in an academic sense and just really a lot of time using statistics in a, in a very applied sense to things like gambling things like behavioral finance problems things like um you know statistical biases that that we all have very innately in us because of the way we evolve but that that, that come out in the way we make decisions and so on so that was in a sense also very formative for me it's really really sort of practical skill set that even though you know i'm not using statistics every day or even any days there's certainly a a sort of mental framework that has been really useful to carry with me. And this was obviously the segue into you getting exposure into the startup world, into the world of startups, and, and literally your first professional day in your professional career was sitting down on a ping pong table. So how is this? How is this? Tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'd always had, I'd always had odd jobs or side hustles growing up. Um, but I never really had any exposure to what a startup was, not in the sense that we think about it, uh, you, you know, in the US or, or, or you know, or even in, in the startup scene in general. And I think I was always destined for that world, just never really knowing it until then. But I met someone at Yale that introduced me to a, a guy that worked at a company called Betterment, which, you know, I'd never, I'd never heard of at the time, but seemed pretty cool it seemed like they were really doing some interesting things in finance and, and wealth management that had interesting sort of behavioral finance applications and so on and so i went and uh you know met with met with the folks there met with john the the founder and showed up on my first day really just as an intern i didn't you know they didn't have a position for me they weren't hiring for a full-time role but showed up as an intern and, you know, totally like a fish out of water, walking into their Soho loft, um, actually wearing a suit on my first day. That's how little I knew about what sort of expected uh, <laughs> behavior was in, in a startup world. And not only was I wearing a suit, but, uh, you know, as you said, that they'd outgrown this office. I think there was about 30 people at the time. They'd already outgrown this office so much that, I was sitting at the ping pong table and it wasn't even as though I had the full ping pong table or even a half of the ping pong table. 
there was five or six of us sitting around this ping pong table at the same time. And, you know, once I'd sort of gotten over the initial realisation of, of my sort of faux pas, my dress faux pas, immediately thought, yes, this is this is the kind of environment that, that I want to be in, where, you know, the most interesting thing was the, the work, the most interesting thing was the problems that we were solving, you know, the best ideas won, everything was, uh, everything was thought about with the consumer in mind. And it was just immediately realized like this was a great fit for me. And this was, you know, this was where I was going to spend. Um, this, this was the industry where I was going to spend the rest of my career. And obviously there you were involved in, in some interesting stuff. I mean, including growth and, and customer engagement. I mean, what, what, have, what did you learn perhaps about retention? Because obviously retention is, is everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think really we face some interesting problems at Betterment. And, you know, fortunately, I, I, I was under, you know, John, John Stein, who is the founder of Betterment, who I think you've had on the show before. Um, you know, he was a really, really a visionary in this idea of democratizing good financial advice for everyone, right? In a way where really before you either had nothing or you could only work through uh, a human financial advisor that, you know, may charge you high fees and so on. What that did as also a side effect though, was that it gave everyone the sort of ability to to, to, to invest in the stock market, but invest in this good passive investment strategy. And so we had all these customers on the platform and we're faced with these problems of how do you encourage good investing behavior, which very often means don't, don't change anything um, while still sort of engaging the customer and, and sort of creating really, really good value for them, a really good sense of value, um, uh, you know, whereas opposed to the, the sort of competing models or, or different models in the industry, like, you know, like the E-Trades or the Scott Trades or something, where you really wanted to encourage the, the customer to always be doing things because that's how they made money. And so, you know, that was our sort of a really interesting setup for us. And, you know, fortunately, uh, the team there was, was and is just phenomenal at, at building products and, and creating that value for the customers. But I think it really sort of taught taught me, you know, this lesson of really, really having to stay focused on the customer journey and not only staying focused on the customer journey, but staying focused on everything that you were incentivized to do as a company. Um, it, from how you how you charge for for your product um, to how you implement it in the day to day to the sort of regulatory framework, really sort of thinking about the idea of a, of a product in a holistic way to get, deliver the most value possible. So then, obviously, there in in Betterment, you were for about three years, uh, and this was obviously what really pushed you into doing it on your own, to doing your own thing, to going going at it yourself. So tell us about that day where you obviously came across the idea and how you brought it to life and, and, and how you really, you know, kept moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, I would never say I was 
I was never say I was pushed to do something myself for the sake of doing something for myself. It was always just driven by the sense of curiosity and this love of challenging myself. Um, so actually, you know, I guess what happened was I, I had a friend that was starting, a, he was doing a mortgage startup. He was starting a mortgage company. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. I hadn't heard of anyone starting a mortgage company before. And he was telling me about the problems he was facing, the challenges and so on. And I thought it was really neat. And I thought, you know, that, that really seemed like there was a huge opportunity there. And then I met another friend that was doing a, a real estate startup and another friend that was working at a company that was doing something in real estate. And I started to get the sense that what was happening was really this was a new frontier for, for fintech. Um, I guess what, you know, nowadays you would call prop tech, but really then just, just seemed like a natural evolution of, of fintech. Um, and, you know, I started to talk to all of these people. And again, it wasn't, you know, the drive wasn't, I should start a company for myself, but I was really, really curious about what was going on here. And what I consistently heard from them was that a real challenge was building an online company, you know, online commerce and real estate on top of the traditional infrastructure of real estate transactions. You know, if you think about it, traditionally, if you want to buy a home or refinance your mortgage, you have a realtor, a mortgage broker, and they work with a host of third parties, you know, most notably a title and escrow agency um, to, to put the deal together. Now, that's a very manual and offline process. Most of them are governed by emails and phone calls and in-person meetings, things that don't scale particularly well and things that certainly don't lend themselves to the kind of experience that you would expect from a digital company. So today, you know, and what these companies were really trying to do is create more optionality um, to buy a home or, or refinance a mortgage online. And the challenge that they were faced with was that traditional infrastructure, the traditional title and escrow companies just couldn't meet them where they needed to be, right? They couldn't scale the way they needed to. They couldn't um, create automation or enable good digital experiences, especially around closing, but really throughout the, the real estate transaction. And so, you know, what we did was we really set out to, to build that company that was going to be the online native platform on which these companies could build their transaction experiences. Very cool. Very cool. So then, so then how do you guys make money, Patrick? Yeah, so, so, you know, we're really the online equivalent of these traditional third parties. So you take this traditional title and escrow company, we provide these products and services to these online companies. But instead of the manual processes, we replace it with automation, data science, API calls instead of phone calls, and digital experiences instead of in-person meetings. So for example, if you're shopping for a mortgage online or looking to buy an investment property online, or really one of this, this sort of suite of online transactions that you can really do nowadays, there's a good chance when you go through that transaction it's spruce in the background enabling it. So we're moving the money, we're issuing a title insurance policy, 
or providing the deed to be executed and so on. Um, and we charge a fee for those services. So we charge um, a, a fee for a title insurance policy. We charge a fee for closing transactions, that kind of thing. Very cool. So obviously in the last uh, year, for example, I mean, you guys have grown like wildfire. I mean, over 50% on, on the employee count. So how did you go about like assembling the, the founding team together? Yeah, so that was actually, I guess it was very natural, I'd say. So when I showed up at, at, at Betterment, that was back in 2013, um, there was another guy that had joined a few months before me named Andrew. Uh, and Andrew really over the course of the next three years became not only a very close friend, but but first and foremost, a very close sort of thought partner for me. You know, anytime I was working on a problem, whether it be related to the product or, you know, some internal problem or, or anything like that, I found myself consistently going to Andrew for advice or for pushback or to tell me I was wrong about something uh, or really going to sort of pick an argument if I wasn't quite certain in my own position on these things. And so it was very natural for me that when, you know, I sort of started to think about these things in, in real estate that I would go to Andrew to, to sort of test my ideas or test the way I was thinking about it and really started to explore the opportunity together. And it was, you know, got to the point where Andrew getting excited about these ideas um, made me really, really confident I was onto something. And I think that was the sort of very natural fit. And I think that's really what you need in a co-founder. You know, I, I really can't imagine starting a company with someone that I didn't have just like such a deep respect and appreciation for their way of thinking. Because, you know, I feel like in, in any company, you're going to encounter things, hard problems to solve, difficult moments, times when you're tested, and having that sort of counterpart to, you know, encourage you if they think you're right, or tell you that you're wrong when you're wrong, I think is just such an empowering component of things. So in this case, I mean, obviously, this was a um, completely different industry for you, and and obviously heavily regulated. So was that a big, steep learning curve for you? It was definitely a learning curve, which again was a huge part of the reason why I was so attracted to it. Um, I would say in general it was something that we knew, and again, we'd learned from our, our time at Betterman, that probably was always going to be part of really the opportunity. Um, you know, we felt strongly that we couldn't attack this problem just as a software layer on top of, you know, the, the traditional infrastructure, we really had to be vertically integrated. And so we decided to get licensed as a title insurance and escrow agency. And of course, in, in, in the US, this is a state regulated industry. Um, and so we, had, we knew we had to bite the bullet. And I think we're really excited actually about doing it, of becoming this licensed company and taking on sort of all of the regulatory hurdles that were going to come with that, but always trying to sort of be thoughtful about how we were constructing the company, or, you know, deciding what kinds of entities we'd have to have and so on, knowing that that's what was, you know, one day going to give us uh, a competitive advantage. 
you know, I'll give you an example there. It's really hard to get licensed in California. You know, we, we were sort of exploring that and exploring how uh, we could go about doing that. And, you know, eventually we came to the conclusion that it was going to take us two years to get licensed as a title agency in California. And of course, for startups, two years are really long time. Um, but again, we sort of, you know, we weren't building for the short term, we were building for the long term. And so what we took from that is, well, we better get started with it. Yeah. And, you know, sure enough, it eventually took us over two years and really, really crazy, crazy steps to get through that process. But now coming out the other side of it, we are incredibly well positioned to serve online companies that want to operate in New York and California and Texas and Florida and everywhere because we've taken on those regulatory hurdles and been able to sort of over, overcome that. And how, how much capital have you guys raised today, Patrick? Yeah, in total we've raised $50 million. Got it. And I know that, obviously, when, when you've raised some of those rounds, like your Series A and your Series B, always in very unpleasant uh, uh, scenarios, right? So obviously your Series A, your honeymoon, and most recently the Series B, in the middle of COVID. I'm sure that a lot of people that are listening now, you know, are probably wondering how the hell did you pull it off? Like when the markets are literally crashing, you're able to raise your Series B. Like, how did you do that? Yeah, it was funny. And, and you know, <laughs> we were kind of set up for it because the first capital that we raised uh, was a pretty smooth process. You know, we we started the company, we incorporated the company on on June 10th, 2016, and before the end of July, we'd raised our first round of financing. So I think we sort of earned some hard luck from that, from that first easy, easier experience. But no, this this year, obviously, you know, we're saying, first of all, this year has been immensely challenging and, and hugely challenging for, for so many people in so many different ways, um, many industries as well. I think for us, Coming into you know Q1, we knew we wanted to raise money. Um, we you know had some really great firms we were talking to that we were really excited about. And when March came around, I would say we were in a position where we knew really what we wanted to do and who we wanted to work with. And when things started to get sort of quite scary like quite obvious that, that things were going to um become become serious and the stock market started to react and so on it was hard to not get a little nervous um it was really hard to not say well you know no matter what all financial markets are somehow interrelated even if it seems like they shouldn't be and so what was this going to mean for us what was this going to mean for us to to sort of not only close our financing but then you know go and execute on our plan now what we tried to remember and what i think really was always true is that you know things like what we've experienced this year if anything build our conviction for the fact that people really need something more convenient something with more options than the traditional real estate transaction you know uh, the home is your biggest financial asset, your biggest financial liability. 
And so having your only options be to, to refinance or to sell a home, a process which takes ordinarily, you know, upwards of 40 or 50 days is really not serving most people. And the companies that we work with and that we enable with all these sort of interesting different financial products to, to, to sell equity in your home, to uh, sell and lease back your home, to get a digital mortgage, all these things, you know, the demand for them now is greater than ever. And therefore, the opportunity for building the infrastructure for these companies is greater now than ever. And fortunately, um, our all of our investors, and, and I think especially our, our lead investor, um, scale venture partners, really understood that. And also were in it for the long term. And so I think fortunately, everyone was able to recognize what was going on around us. But if anything, just, uh, you know, improve our resolve for the space that we were in and the problems that we were solving. Very interesting. And obviously, you know, in this case, the growth that you guys have had is is tremendous. I believe that the the revenue has grown by over four hundred percent annually. So, how do you how do you think about scale, Patrick? Yeah, it's really it's really interesting, especially in a year when you know the whole world went to work from home, which I think for a lot of technology companies has been somewhat straightforward. But for us, what's been really interesting is, you know, we innate, we work with all of these mortgage companies and real estate companies, and they themselves have gone through this really phenomenal transition to, to working remotely or, you know, hybrid models in some cases. And that, you know, that's certainly created a challenge alongside what, what's been, you know, as you say, really, really phenomenal growth. You know, we've grown... Just this year, we've grown twenty percent month over month, every month. And I think that you know, for me personally, it, it it comes in a number of forms. You know, on the one hand, obviously, it's growing the team, it, it's sort of maturing, or the way we operate as a company, um, it's staying focused on on serving, you know, more more clients and and really serving, uh, more more end consumers as well. Um, and I think for for us, what we just try and stay focused on is not only are we trying to grow our revenue, of course, but we're really trying to drive the the experience forward, right? We we operate under a vision of enabling a one-click checkout for any kind of real estate transaction. And while we're not quite there yet, we, we operate in an ecosystem of like-minded companies and like-minded clients. and for us really staying focused on what's the next um what's the next product launch what's the next problem that we have to solve uh what's the next hurdle that we have to cross i think that's really been i'd say not only the biggest challenge but also just the biggest focus for us stay stay staying focused on that product vision very cool. Very cool. So so for the folks that are listening to get a better idea of perhaps the size of the business today, I mean, how, how big is Spruce? Yeah, so we have, uh, you know, over 125 people now. We're enabling thousands of these transactions every month. I, uh, I, got, a, I got a phone call uh, last week from my wife's aunt who said, 
hey, what's the name of your company? And I said, it's, it's Spruce. And she said, I just refinanced my mortgage and, and you were the you were the, the title company on it. And and so I thought that that was really funny. That's, that's you know, cool. it was a it was a I, I don't know if that's that was an OKR of ours, but uh, you know, for your <laughs> wife's aunt to, to phone yeah. you and unwittingly having just used your, your company, I think that was a that was a nice moment. So yeah, I'd say uh, you know, we're really excited about the growth that we've experienced, but we're also uh, very cognizant of the fact that this is a massive industry and our opportunity that lies in front of us is is really huge. Absolutely. So I guess, uh, let's say, imagine, Patrick, that you go to sleep tonight and, and you wake up five years later. I mean, tremendous news. You wake up in a world where the vision of Spruce is completely realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's a world where people's relationship with their largest financial asset is is different. You know, there's an ecosystem of companies in the way that there is for, you know, personal lending or banking or, or wealth management or frankly, you know, just the broader app ecosystem of products and services um, that the world of real estate is brought into that dimension as well. Um, that you know, you can bring in the, the the home into your investment strategy more easily. You can access the capital that it represents more easily. You can um, change your living situation more easily um, and, and more often as it suits your needs. I think that's really, for, for us, the, the, the kind of ecosystem that we think the, the real estate industry is heading towards, and we're excited to play a role in it. Very cool. You know, one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, you know, you so say you've been at it now for, for a little bit here. Uh, and basically, you know, now in this time, you know, let's say since, um, since you founded the company, I mean, you've gone through, through so many things since 2016, you know, the, the ups, the downs, the financing cycles, all of that good stuff. If you had the opportunity to go back in time and have a chat with your younger self, maybe that younger self that was at Betterman, you know, with that curiosity starting to to sparkle and, and to think about like maybe that thing that you were going to go after and, and build, if you could go back and give yourself, that younger self, one piece of business advice before launching a company, what would that be and why knowing what you know now? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I think stops a lot of people is you know, the fear that you can only start a company with an original idea, right? That if someone else has thought of the idea, then you can't start the company. I tend to believe that, you know, especially when we're talking about, you know, anything other than sort of real frontier tech, there's no such thing as an original idea. And in fact, you don't really want to have a truly original idea because if you're solving a problem, that really matters to a lot of people. Hopefully a lot of people have faced that problem and thought of a way that it could be better. And so instead of being fearful of that, I always think that people should really embrace that idea and become a student of why the problem still exists if other people have tried to solve it. You know, and I think that can be anything from, you know, the right idea at the wrong time, the right idea, the wrong team, um, the right idea, the wrong business strategy or product approach, but really being a student of 
other people that have had that idea or have that idea and and use it to bring um bring the right solution to like i say a problem that hopefully lots of other people have faced very profound very profound patrick so for the folks that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi yeah you can find me on linkedin uh you can also come to our website which is spruce.co amazing well patrick thank you so much for being on the dealmaker show today Thank you so much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.